Welcome to the Say Less podcast, a place for honest discussion between me, Johnny, and me, Rack. We are not mental health experts. We're just two guys who are trying to figure out life and happy to document our experiences along the way. We both still have a lot of learning to do, but hope that by having these conversations, we can help normalize topics that men often keep bottled up and develop our own understanding as we go along. Some weeks, it will be just Rack and I. And other weeks, we'll have guests to help us with subjects we simply do not know enough ourselves but for now kick back relax and enjoy us saying more so hopefully you don't have to say less you know you live in a country house when your pipes be creaking like that oh you heard that you can actually hear that are you joking <laughs> was, it, was it that loud it was like, like a gong even... bath <laughs> I don't even clock because I'm used to it. Right. All right, cool. Let's just jump straight into it then. Today, this episode, we're going to be talking a lot around work-life balance. I think that as we enter 2021, we all want to be more well-rounded people. Um, From 2020, we've evidently got better understandings of our identities and those things that are important to us. But But if anything, it's even harder at the moment to balance societal expectations associated with the start of the year. This is New Year's resolutions. This is goal setting. This is starting as you mean to go out. And every year, this leaves me and I'm sure a lot of other people with the same problem, which is that you set all of these really lofty expectations. And then as soon as you get one slip, you feel like your entire life has then failed. And there's basically no point in carrying on with the year or with any of these goals um, and your like kind of new journey and trying to improve yourself is all basically a waste of time before it's even begun. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Inside that, there's going to be a bit about work-life balance, um, an interesting topic around balancing purpose with priority um, and some more general chat about balancing routines. So before we get into all of that, Rack, how has the start of this year, 2021, been for you? stress stress bro (laughs) 2021 has been yeah it's been a lot I mean I've spoken to you quite a lot about this at the moment I'm currently balancing three different jobs I'm trying to get this house over the line and we've taken on a major hobby slash side project um (laughs) so (laughs) finding the time between all of that has been really difficult I also started the new year in such like a slobby fashion that I felt as <laughs> as <laughs> honestly I'll, I'll tell you my new year's day I was so hungover I sat there and watched six hours of Bridgerton back to back that was Probably it love that show bro it's so good <laughs> Period drama plus string quartet versions of like Ariana Grande, Ed Sheeran. It's amazing. Wait, what? Bro, honestly. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that they had that. No, no, it's not your dead ass like period drama. It's actually quite hard. I'm not going to lie. Um, and yeah, I started that day just eating shit, watching that. I found myself, I was on my own in the house as well. I found myself just crying in the final episode on my one, surrounded by like empty packs of Jaffa cakes and shit. And I was just oh, like, how is, this, this, <laughs> how is this the start of my year? <laughs> this is shit. I need to build it back up from here. And I put a lot of pressure on myself with all of these goals and New Year's resolution setting. And 
everything. Um, and yeah, it's been really stressful. I'm not going to lie to you. It's been really stressful trying to balance it all. And I'm really looking forward to chatting to you a little bit more about how you're finding it, um, how you're balancing and how you're managing all of the various different priorities and purposes in life. Uh, just because I feel like you've always been someone that's been a shining example of that. Um, you seem to be constantly creating stuff, doing awesome stuff and self-developing. And I'm just sort of sitting back from afar, really looking forward to getting your insight on this one. <laughs> that makes it sound a lot better than it is. And I think that maybe some of what you're saying is true, but a lot of that is very recent, I think is the thing to remember. Um, luckily for me, and I hate to be that guy, the start of this year has been really good for me, only because I'm just picking up where I left off last year. Do you know mm. what I mean? And not trying to put too much pressure on myself, but at the same time, I'm in quite a good swing of knowing kind of what works and what doesn't work for me right now. Um, and I, probably in a better place of that than I ever have been coming into a year I would say mm. no that's really that's really important and the the key thing I'm taking away from that is knowing and being confident in where you're at right now that's the thing I think that people set goals and resolutions trying to be someone trying to be an improved version of themselves but if you're not already comfortable with who you are now then those are always going to be unattainable and quite unachievable um so then in that, let's talk a little bit about some of your goals. Do you have goals? Do you believe in them? Have you set any? Do you know what? I do have goals. Um, and the, the trick I did this year with my goals was to write down things I could commit to doing every day. You know, rather than writing lofty, ambitious goals of like where I want to be like at the end of the year with like a six pack, you know, 25 grand in the bank and all of that stuff. It was more for me this year, like on a day-to-day -day basis, see how you can get on with not eating chocolate a day at a time. And so far, where are we? The 19th of January when we're recording this, I haven't eaten chocolate this year. And I have a pretty serious sugar addiction. Um, and the only reason I've been able to do that is basically by committing to just try a day at a time. And I'm sure we'll come on to this a little bit. Like for me, so much of what I'm going to say is in this episode, I'm sure is like, committing to not eat chocolate for 365 days is not possible for me. Like I'm a, I'm a dick, I'm an addict and I'm addicted to chocolate, <laughs> but committing to not eat chocolate today for one day I can do. And when I wake up tomorrow, I can do it again. Um, and I can do it again and again and again and again, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but the real challenge, like you've kind of said, and we've touched on already, is like what happens when I do eat chocolate? Because chances are I will. And is the end of the year for me, me like crushing up chocolate and sniffing it or <laughs> <laughs> or is it me picking myself back up again and like giving it another go that'll be that'll be the challenge for me bro i hate to trigger you then but i need to know what's your chocolate vice what's the go-to i am a fiend for white chocolate is it i yeah. love it so much he, um, he ain't talking about the girls by the way just to let you know <laughs> no the last the last uh, thing i ate on new year's eve was i bought a big white chocolate toblerone and ate that till I basically felt sick. That was my like grand hurrah to chocolate for the end of the year. That's bougie. Both of them are bougie. White chocolate and Toblerone. That's bougie. I'm a simple was, fella. I just go for sneakers. It was too much. 
No, 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 no. I do hear that. Um, and to be honest, I, I, I'm actually very similar. Um, I think that January, I've always set these unrealistic resolutions where I challenge myself to do loads of stuff throughout the year, but they're meaningless challenges. This is a thing. And because I'm someone who's quite pragmatic and writes down all of my goals at the end of every year on Excel documents, it means that I literally have a paper trail of all my <laughs> unaccomplishments over the past like three, four years. You see what I'm saying? And I've just had all of these random goals that have sat there for so long that don't really mean anything. But I had seemed to feel like at the start of the year, this has to be a priority. This is definitely one of my purposes. This is definitely one of my passions. And I've simplified my goals and my resolutions this year more to a mantra rather than to an individual itemized list. And I think that's very similar to what you're saying, where you're saying it's just sort of take every day at a time and just do your best that day. My mantra is to slow down and to commit more because... I'd live life very, very quickly. I'd, I'd feel like I need to be doing everything all the time. And what that means is that I don't actually commit, commit to things as much as I should. I don't commit to relationships or friendships or to um, projects or goals as much because I'm just trying to do everything. So yeah, very, very akin to what you're saying, just sort of like slowing down day to day and commit to the day almost. Um, okay, so then... I want to talk a little bit then about routines. Do you have a routine that you sort of incorporate into your day-to-day? -day? Um, yeah, I, I do. Yeah, my, my routine, if you've lived with me in the last two years or you've gone out with me in the last two years, you'll know that like my morning routine like, is actually pretty intense. Um, and I think that I will just say, and I, on this podcast, like so people know, I am going to, I am trying to avoid to bring everything back to recovery. Like, cause you know, I've spoken a lot of great openly about my recovery and my journey there, but a lot of stuff is going to be very interlinked with it. Um, and because of really it's for recovery reasons more than anything else. Like I wake up in the morning. The first thing I do is I send a gratitude list of 10 things I'm grateful for that day into like a group of mates like from recovery circles. And then write a list of everything I have planned for that day and send it to someone um, every single day. I then tend to like get up, have breakfast and stuff. And then when I get come back to my room, obviously at the moment we're all working in our rooms. Before I start work, I'll meditate for like 15, 20 minutes. Um, I will like say some plans for the day. Some people might call it praying um, and then I crack on. Um, and I do that stuff like every single day without fail now, I would say. So like for me, like routine is very, very important. Um, and I don't really tend to stray away from it. What about you? Mate, no, that's so impressive. Because do you know what? There are all these books, there are all these podcasts, all these various preachings out there about the sort of like 5 a.m. club, right? You know, these hyper successful millionaires who before 6 a.m. have already ran an ultra marathon, meal prep for the next two months and solved the climate crisis. Like, when you see all of that, <laughs> when, when you see all of that, it's inspiring to a certain extent. But I think that for, um, I'm not saying like the average person, because we are both the average person, but sometimes it can be quite intimidating to feel like you need to do all of these things that hyper successful people are saying that they're doing first thing in the morning. And for me, I tried that. I've tried all of that before. Part of my routine has always been getting up and going for a run first thing in the morning. 
and this year or well the back of last year and coming into this year things that I've been doing a lot include meditation include journaling those are the main two things now what I've found is that again the journaling and the meditation that I'm doing, most people are saying you need to do it at this time, first thing in the morning, do it in this order, associate um, the action with another action so that you commit to it. Let's say you can't find time for journaling, associate it with your morning coffees. So you're like pairing various different things together so that you always do it because there's always some, some something that you do in the morning, right? I was really struggling with that in week one. When I came back to work, I told you there was quite a lot of pressure on me first week back and I didn't have time for myself. Like I genuinely spent three days on the bounce inside without going out for fresh air. I'd like stick my head out the window of my kitchen, like a dog out of a car's window, just to cop some <laughs> fresh air because I was that busy. And I was then feeling really guilty and I was feeling really bad because I was like, oh, again, I'm not hitting this routine that I'm trying to start. And then it sort of dawned on me to, again, slow down and commit more and find ways to make things work for you. Just because someone is saying that doing journaling and doing gratitudes and doing meditation and doing yoga and doing all of this in a certain way is correct, means it actually works for you. So like the journaling is one thing that I'm really sticking to. And I'm very similar to you. My journaling, I write down a, um, basically a mantra for the day, like a, what do I want to be today? So I've got a list of words that I'll pick out. Do I want to be committed today? Do I want to be uh, charming today? Do I want to be productive today? Do I want to be aware today, engaged today? And I use that as the top of my journal to then plan out the rest of my day. And in every decision I'm making, I think back like today, I've said that I'm gonna be like efficient. So let me just be a little bit shorter on some of these emails. Let me just commit to doing this a lot quicker and da 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 da. But then if I find I've not meditated yet because I went up and it felt right to go for a run first to maybe free up my mind a little bit, I meditate in the shower. Like for some people, I'm oh, sure the, the, the true, like the true um, sort of yogis or wellness people out there will be like, what the fuck are you on about meditate in the shower? But 10 minutes, Headspace app, shower, it works for me, you know? So yeah, I really, really agree that finding a routine is good and it helps you almost hold yourself accountable to just continuing something. But just make sure that your routine works for you and you're not trying to live someone else's routine. That's it, man. And that flexibility is so important. And it's so funny. I've looked at my hand, right? And this morning, I got. I actually woke up about 15 minutes late. I had a Zoom at eight before work. Um, and then I immediately had Zooms at nine and 10. So I like, went and had time to like have a shower, have breakfast. I didn't meditate. And on my hand, obviously, this is audio only. I've got written sleep meditation because I didn't do a meditation this morning. But for me now, that's so nice, because for once, I'm gonna do a meditation before bed. And like mm. the variety of doing that like excites me. And like I, love, like I know I have to do a meditation, but the fact that I get to do it in the evening today instead of the morning, like it's cool to me now, which is like <laughs> <laughs> a bit whack. But at the same time, like for me, that's, you know, when you actually do the stuff consistently and it works for you, it suddenly becomes way easier, right? Exactly. Yeah. Be true to yourself. Take your time, understand you and respect your own sort of boundaries and your own timeframes, you know? Okay. Awesome. So 
I think then one of the things around balancing routine that I want to discuss maybe would be just a few sort of tips that we would recommend. Again, I think we've covered quite a few of them, but I think one of the tips that I personally have found really useful is just, as I said, just slowing down, Mm. just really giving time to your day, to your routine and slowing down and putting in firm boundaries because particularly, and this is where I think we're going to get onto next, but that work-life balance plays such a big part in your routine because all of a sudden somebody else is demanding your time. And if someone's putting in a meeting super early in the morning, like I work for a Chinese company where my meetings start at 6, 7 a.m. because APAC is seven hours ahead. Yeah, it's bad. It's crazy. So then if I wake up and I'm out, that's my whole morning gone, you know? Mm. Um, So I think a big, big tip is just putting in boundaries between those people or those things in your life that might be eating into your routine and just really prioritize you. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Um, I think I can take a lot from that. As you said, we've covered off a lot of the other ones already, but I think the one for me that, I have to remind myself on a daily basis, and I do struggle with it today a lot, is the idea that self-care and looking after myself is significantly more important than any productivity. Mm. Like that has to be my number one priority every day is looking after myself. Mm. Um, I think in my experience, the great thing about doing that is you look after yourself, everything else starts taking care of itself. Like everything else starts flowing in a much easier way but for me, it can be so easy to think because the last time I didn't have a productive work day, I felt so bad. The answer to all of my problems is to just be so super on it with my productivity with work, with this podcast, with the recovery work I do like after work. And it's that the latter one, like actually, like if I prioritize that and I do that, and I do the meditation and all of the different things I do around self-care over a period of time, the other productivity stuff, it just naturally starts going up. Like you don't mm. even, I don't even have to think about it, to be honest. Like that's the beauty about self-care. As you look after yourself, you start actually looking after all the other stuff that matters. And if work is one of those things, it will just take care of itself. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And I think an interesting topic is self-care, just the differences in what that means to everybody. Because some people will think of self-care as like wellness practices like yoga or spa treatments or doing little face masks at home, like all of that. But self-care can literally just be eating snacks and watching first dates, you know, like Mm -hmm. just taking that pressure off yourself. Self-care can literally just be slapping on the do not disturb button on your iPhone. Like that's one thing that I personally associate with self-care because I don't know if I've actually told you this, but I've discovered recently that I get peopled out and I'm starting to get peopled out as I get older. Um, There was a concept around this. There is like a Spanish word that accurately summarizes what this means. I read it in Vex King's book. But if you're a people person like you and me, we're both working in brand partnerships. Our job is forward facing. Um, There's a lot of the day where you're speaking round the clock Mm -hmm. and you're dealing with other people all of other people take slight little tolls on your emotional well-being and your physical state of mind. And what I found recently is that no matter how much of a people person I think I am, there come times where I just don't want to chat to anyone. And I felt really guilty about it before, 
because I'm sure you know I'm shit with my phone. Like it takes me. <laughs> when Rack when Rack sends me a screenshot of like a message someone sent sent him, I always notice it's like WhatsApp, 437 unread messages. I'm like, what is this guy doing? Uh, bro, I guess I get so much hate from it's, it's so many WhatsApp messages, man. I hate being so popular. It's really not that. Some of them are literally like six, seven years old. I'm a hoarder as much as I am a people person. So, <laughs> but for real, like I, this is a real thing that I'm trying to improve on because all that does is if I don't set boundaries with people and almost end that conversation, my way out previously was to just not acknowledge it. So then I would like need myself time. I wouldn't respond to messages. It might take me two days because in that evening where I have that downtime, I'm just compressing like phones out of reach. And then when I wake up the next day, it's straight back into work. And it's just, again, this comes back to boundary setting in the letting some people know and the people really close to you that look, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I do love you. I love speaking to you, but today's just not that day. Um, and I'm probably going to need a couple days, but look, let's speak in a while. You know, that's something I, I'm not good at and I need to improve at. Yeah, it's so important. I think for me, one of the things I've learned around this as well is that being your true self and being honest is way less tiring and way less damaging to like yourself, your like sense of like personality tiredness than, for example, doing the job we do at work eight hours a day when the reality that doing the job we do, you're not your true self. Of course no. you're not. No. Um, but if after work, then I chat to some people like on the phone for half an hour, whether it's you, whether it's someone else, and I am my true self, that actually doesn't take anything away. That doesn't add to my level of tiredness at all. If mm. anything, it gives me a little bit of energy. Yeah. But I think that when you get into the pattern, either if it's because of work or even if it's in your personal life, like dating is a big one. The reason dating for me is so tiring is because you're trying to present the best version of yourself. And just that slightly pivoted, like not quite being your true, true self. Like for me, mm. that is what is exhausting. Yeah. Like that yeah. is, that's what ties me out. Yeah. We're definitely going to get into that when we talk about relationships and dating. And I think one of the main players in that is the modern day society where you're just, you feel like when you're starting to date someone, you're just like battling it out across all these trash platforms like Hinge and Bumble and Tinder. And it's just like, you feel you need to be so extra just to almost like get that person to buy into your level of yourself do you see what I'm saying and then it's like when do I stop doing that you know when am I just like able to just be like cool whatever don't care but yeah no that's a really really good point and I think that we've spoken quite a few times now or we've mentioned at least work quite a few times um, and I definitely want to go into this a little bit more in terms of work-life balance I think that when you're talking about work-life balance this past year is so unique to any other year like to any yeah to any form of work-life balance last year there were so many people being made redundant um and of those of us still fortunate enough to fortunate enough sorry to have jobs you almost feel like you owe it to your company to work those ungodly hours because one where else do you have to be and two there are so <laughs> It's, it's true where else where else the fuck are you gonna be like you're at home they know that so i'm gonna send you an email at nine o'clock and expect you to action it and two for those of us that might still have jobs and are very fortunate to still have jobs you tend to have quite a lot more responsibilities and workloads to pick up 
And I think there's an interesting topic here that I want us to start to get into a little bit in, in terms of men and men's mental health within the workspace and dealing with those expectations and boundaries and, and sort of being able to truly express yourself and truly express the difficulties with it. So what I'd like to do is talk a little bit just about your work and how you've been finding work-life balance, maybe even times on and off furlough over the past year. And yeah, just sort of like anything that you've found quite difficult or anything that you found really positive and encouraging, please, please share with me. I will. Um, I think that, yeah, if I'm going to speak on personal experience, I have to say like my workplace have been so good to me in the last year. Mm. Um, if you are my friend, you'll know, like I have had several personal, like pretty what felt at the time, like big time crises, like in the last year. Um, and for the first time ever in my life in the, like in 2020, I, decided that I was actually going to tell work what was going on mm -hmm. um so like I missed like multiple days of work due to like quite serious relapses um like I missed work when I went through a breakup and I just told them what was going on um and the people who I work with were amazing because there was one I got really seriously hurt um towards the back end of last year really was not pretty at all but and I actually missed an entire day of work without getting in touch. But like my boss, like rang my brother, my brother like came to my flat. When I, when my brother got to my flat, like he passed me his phone. And like my boss was like calling him and I was like, you have my boss's number. And he was like, yeah. <laughs> and they'd obviously been speaking. And like, as the days went on, I was like, it's quite mad that like, my boss just like got my brother's number, called my brother, like made sure that I was okay. Mm. Um, and then they just gave me a week off to recover. Yeah. Um, so for me, like this year, getting honest with my employer, like was has been completely revolutionary. But I think it, that is obviously so dependent on the fact that I just happen to work with like compassionate, loving people. Yeah. Um, and the other conversation I had with my work, I think I've chatted to you about before is that I have kind of said to them kind of at times more directly than others, like I have to have space to like do my own thing. And if I don't, and I don't watch that stuff, then stuff like this could happen. Like, yeah. you know, I might be found unconscious three rows away from where I live because I just haven't been watching that stuff. Mm. Um, and I think the one nice thing about things getting so serious for me sometimes as scary as it is, um, is for my colleagues, they're like shit. Like Johnny has a serious problem here he's dealing with like really what he needs. Like we kind of need to kind of be flexible with and they have been and like, I couldn't be more grateful for that. So like yeah. for me, like trust and honesty have been like so important. But I think more than that, like the onus is really on me to walk away from work at the right time. Yeah. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's just work. Like this so hard to come to terms with that sometimes, like so much of our self-esteem, ego, bravado, we literally get paid like based on our jobs. Like, of course, ego is gonna be so tied up in that. It is not worth the expense of your own mental well-being. Do you know what I mean? It's not, and I have my entire adult life have suffered with that, you know? And I said it, I think I said it on the last episodes, you know? I was mm. in the worst place of my entire life, like very seriously contemplating suicide, not sleeping for days on end, turning up to work, smashing my sales targets, 
um, and not mentioning any of it to anyone because for some reason my performance in work was so much more important than actually like just being well, which is insane. Like that's the definition of insanity. Like that mm-hmm. is insane. Like yeah. to really be prior- prioritizing work that much more than everything else that like, I, despite the fact my fucking house is on fire behind me, I'm mm. like at a desk being like, oh, I'm hitting my sales targets this month. Like who gives a fuck about that really? Like <laughs> take a step back. Um, and I think that I finally have started learning some of those lessons and like, yes, I still care too much about my work performance. Like, don't get me wrong, but I think I probably care about how well I am a little bit more, hopefully today. What about Mate, you, I'm, I'm fucking beaming from ear to ear. That was the most <laughs> empowering shit I ever heard. I swear to God, I'm clipping that. I'm using it as my ringtone, as my alarm, bro. <laughs> In fact, let me let me ask you something else because I can talk on my experience, but and I know you've done like a, you always do <laughs> do more reading than I do on this stuff. But like, why is it that men specifically struggle with mental health around the workplace? Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is a good, good question. And this is something that obviously I read into ahead of this call because it it was something that I needed to understand because what you've just spoken about there is extremely brave of you, one, to speak about, but two, the actions in the stories that you were telling us are really brave. Just like being able to be that honest with your workplace, being able to set those boundaries, being able to tell them some insecurities of yours, maybe some faults of yours, which when you're an employee of a company is actually really fucking difficult to do because you almost you almost can't lie to your employer or you can't necessarily show any signs of weakness because you're paid to do a job. And I think that particularly when it comes to men, you mentioned bravado, you mentioned ego, you mentioned a lot of different traits that play into masculinity and toxic masculinity. You, when you're paid to do a job, you never ever can like show any signs of weakness. You can never show any signs of vulnerability because it might take away from the machismo that you've brought to the role. So of the reading that I was doing, it was really interesting to hear that one in three men, so 32%, have, this was, um, this was off of a report, by the way, that came out this year, and I can share it in the episode description, but one in three men attribute poor mental health to their job compared to one in seven men who say it's problems outside of work. Some of the reasons being is that men are a lot less likely to speak to their line manager about personal issues and are less likely to take time off to seek help or just to get any space. If men can't speak to their boys about shit that's going through their heads without beers, without being hammered, without being whatever. How the fuck are you going to speak to your line manager? How are you going to speak to your line manager if you are if you work in a sales environment or if you work in a sort of quite egotistical environment? How are you going to speak to your line manager when he's someone who's above you? Also, how are you going to speak to your line manager if your line manager is a woman? A lot of men don't necessarily have that ability to open up to women who are close to them in their lives, let alone women they don't really know that well. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, mm-hmm. 
so that's a really important thing and that plays a massive part into why there's such a high percentage of men who attribute a lot of their mental health just down to their job i think again it's that industry and culture of the male workplace as well men work in industries where macho culture prevails or where competitive environments may exist i don't know if you've seen that tv show called industry um it's a bbc tv show definitely recommend anyone to watch it it's set in london um it's about like financial bankers and this that and the other and what it's like to work on trading floors and it's literally just like a perfect insight into this like macho dominated culture where you turn up you get screamed at and it's almost it's almost like hierarchical system that you kind of go through back in boarding school like someone more senior than you is going to put you through the fucking works and you take it on the chin because you know that when you get to their position it almost gives you the same right to do the same shit do you see what i'm saying it's like that rite of passage so again these industries where men work in don't allow guys to ever show that sign of weakness um as well if you listen to this and you because i've been there like my first job outside of uni was like in recruitment um and had i stayed in that job and start and the problems around my cocaine use my drinking and started getting more serious and i was still in that job i don't know what would have happened like to be honest like i don't know if it's important for to you to be able to speak to people and not work in like a super like masculine intense environment just leave your job and go and do something else like that's my yeah. genuine advice like yeah. it's so much more important um mm. You're there eight, nine hours a day. If you're not there, you're working at home. Um, you don't have to do what you're doing. Like if you need more balance in your life and you like think this environment is not working for me, you're not trapped. Hmm. Like, please go and do something else. Like there's so much other stuff you could do. Um, and it took me, like the reason I say that is it took me so long to realize that. So long to realize like I don't have to work in a super high stress target-driven sales environment. I don't know why I convinced myself that is what I needed. Probably but this because... is the thing when you're when you're a young impressionable guy, mm. you're stepping out of uni and everyone's like, I'm gonna bag this job and this salary and this, that, and the other. If like you and me, we know we can chat shit to people, your first thought is cool, let me go into a commission-based role. And commission-based roles are all about who is top biller, who's out here ringing that bell at the end of the month, who's out here with the bragging rights, who's out here to be able to say, I'm bagging this much commission this month. All it does is force inferiority complexes among people and that's everyone within that space but again this male ego is such a fragile thing that like if it takes a knock it can spiral people out really spiral people out it really can and if you're someone like me especially a younger me who has low self-esteem the best job in the world is one where your pay is directly correlated to your performance because every time you do well you get that little endorphin bump I do a little key of cocaine that's like, see, you are worth something because you well, did that good work. Your own. Yeah, you did that work and you're getting paid a little bit more money. So you are valuable. Um, and I think, of course, there are people like I hope I am now that can do sales jobs and do like target driven jobs mm. that do have a decent amount of self-esteem and a good understanding of themselves. But like you said, Rack, going into those sorts of jobs at 21, is very tricky. At mm. least it was for me anyway. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And this is the thing, like in the words of Parse Lou, protect your energy. Banging song, by the way. Anybody who don't know about it, go run that track. It's so good. Um, 
But yeah, honestly, at the moment, it's it's a lot with the work-life balance. I was speaking to Millie Johnson about this actually the other week. And one of the things that you don't take into consideration now that we're all working at home is just how much work is actually infiltrating your social personal life. Like we were talking about the fact that your managers have all got you on WhatsApp. They've all got you on IG. So all of a sudden now, WhatsApp is now an avenue to pick up work streams. You see what I'm saying? Whereas before that was where you would tune out and go to socialize with your friends, jump in the group chat. Now you're at a state where it's like, I kind of wanted to put in boundaries a little bit tonight and just like leave that email till tomorrow. And then you might go on your story and you might go and post like, I don't know, you cook in your fourth loaf of banana bread in two days. And you're now self-conscious about the fact that your manager is going to be seeing it, you know, and judging you and this, that and the other. So it's really difficult. And again, it comes back to that word that we've probably used more than any other word, just balance, balance and boundaries, because right now burnout is so real. This was from the uh, recent study called four day week report. Brits are putting in extra 28 hours of work a month and there's no real support. And because of the pandemic, people are struggling 49% more than they were in 2017 and 2019, just simply because of the sheer increase in the amount of work hours that people are putting in and the lack of support across. And I think one thing I also just want to mention is we've spoken a lot about people who are working. There are so many people that aren't working. There are so many people that got made redundant. There are so many people that are probably feeling or struggling at least with feelings of self-value and self-worth around work, because as you say, you tie your identity to that. Even when someone asks you, oh yeah, like tell me a little bit about yourself. What's the first thing you say? It's where you work, like, or what you do. So true. That is so true. Yeah. So then that's just instinctual. It's habitual. You just immediately say this and it's like, oh shit, yeah, I am my job. And I think this is where I want the conversation to go next is sort of furlough or dealing with furlough or dealing with not having work and almost finding that priority and that passion within yourself. Because this was something that I really, really struggled with. Um, And I think that this was something that outside of obviously all the difficulties around redundancies and not necessarily having income and having to deal with universal credit that people have gone through. The biggest struggle here is detaching your job, which you may no longer have or may no longer be sort of required for day in, day out from your actual day to day value and identity and purpose. So I want to ask you, because I feel like everyone has different answers around this and I think that yours is going to be quite different to mine were you on furlough last year if so how long and how did you find it so I was I was on furlough for two and a bit months last year and there's kind of two sides to this I guess story for me I mean the first thing I'll say is I am hugely privileged my mum has moved out of London then she moved to Birmingham she's moved out of Birmingham and now lives in the arse end of nowhere um so as soon as I got put on furlough I um I came back here it's where I am now still um and there's space it's so isolated and I think that on my gratitude list every single day I write down the fact that I'm in this place in the middle of a bunch of fields Mm. because to be honest at a time now when everyone's locked down I have it very very easy compared to I would say the vast majority of people Mm. as a result of that when I got put on furlough 
secretly, I have always wanted the world to slow down and basically stop so I could sort my shit out. Because mm. like we've touched on already, I struggle with the pace of life. <clears throat> I feel it moves too fast for me to get everything done I need to do. And that's like the self-care stuff, but then the stuff my ego tells me I need, mainly like career progression and money. Yeah. I've, always, I've always thought it would be so sick if somehow I could just stop working for a bit and still get paid. And I had it once. I spent 28 days in rehab and I kind of had it then, but I was like, now nah, I need more than 28 days. Mm. And I had that earlier this year. And the two months that I was here at my mum's when I didn't have work, like it really, A, allowed me to see how I feel like doing life without work and without really any of like the external crutches, distractions, be that like going clubbing, um, like going out for dinner, going to the cinema, all, you know, in isolation, like super healthy things. Um, but I think that for me, I know that when I'm living a really fast paced life week by week, I can just distract myself and I just don't mm. think at all. And it, life can be easy. And then it comes around to bite me in the ass. So it did allow me the time to like slow down, like you'd said, you know, give me the time and space to like reflect on what's actually important to me. The struggle actually came for me, go off furlough, go back to London, go back to normal life. Having had that slow down, I struggled. Mm. I really struggled with kind of trying to get back up to that like working pace. Yeah. Um, especially for me in my situation, going from having loads of space here to being in like a smaller flat in London. I struggled with that as well and yeah ended up in a re again a really tricky situation as, as a result of that really yeah. so I think that like while the actual experience itself felt free and positive and I was working on myself actually like trying to transition back to a normal life was like very challenging but that was two months how long were you on furlough for seven months seven months and how was that I hated it I genuinely hated it um, like you said, the start of it was nice. The slowdown, the taking time to yourself, all of that was really enjoyable. It was quite novel as well at the time. Um, the novelty of furlough was that, oh, the weather's absolutely banging. Like we get to like chill. We get to take up all these new hobbies. Everyone was out here doing all these cra like crazy shit. Do you remember? It was like Joe Wicks was popping. TikTok was tweaking. Everyone was learning how to code. Everyone was downloading Duolingo. All of this. Like, <laughs> it seemed as if there was infinite levels to which you could self-improve. But then being on furlough for that long was so so difficult. Once the novelty wore out, it really became a struggle for me. And do you know what it was that the trigger point was for me where I realized that that furlough was going to be quite difficult was when George Floyd was murdered. I know it's going to sound a bit rogue, but in that moment, there was such a big like push in people to really internally self-reflect and think about things on a deeper level than they might have before. And because we were on furlough and because there wasn't anything else to do to take your mind off it, I really went in on that internal reflection. I, I remember you, I spoke to you about it and it was a real struggle, like seeing where I'd been complicit in so many like walks of my life. Like we had all these different group discussions with the CH lot about some of the like shit that was going on in school that we let slide. And it was really difficult to process like, 
wow, I've grown up with so many complicities, despite feeling like I myself have gone through quite a lot in terms of experiencing racism and stuff like that. And that then sort of started a domino effect in myself where I was really trying to now think like, who the, who the fuck am I? Where do I go from here? And I think that every time I've spoken to people about furlough, people were always like, you were loving furlough. Like the amount of different projects that I took up over furlough. I don't know if you saw, but I did that cycling video where I cycled mm -hmm. London at, at like 6 a.m. in the morning every day and just got the whole city completely empty. And it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life, genuinely. But when that was done, I was like, now what? Like that's not filled a gap for me. Then I was out here like running four marathons in one month and it was like, great, I've raised money, raised awareness and started conversation amongst my friends around something. But when that finished, I was like, now what, you know? And I really, really struggled with finding my purpose um, last year. And I got to a breaking point because I was piling so much stuff up on myself in furlough. I was like, I have to do this and start this and I was still holding down two side hustles when I wasn't even technically like working for my main company mm -hmm. and I remember there was one day it was actually a friend of mine someone I used to work with a long time ago had passed away last year um, in October time they passed away no it wasn't October sorry it was November time and um when I got told the day that the funeral was on, the virtual funeral, um, mm -hmm. it was the same day as my brother's birthday. And I'd already made so many plans that day. I had like plans with my brother all morning to do like a nice little brunch. This was at the start of December. So the 11th of December, when we were allowed to do stuff, had like okay, a nice yeah. brunch plan with my brother. Um, and then I had a driving lesson and then I had a class and then I had a call and then I had a lad's dinner. And in and amongst all of that, I had the digital funeral. And I remember coming from my brother's and walking from Camden all the way to Royal Oak, which is far. If anybody knows that, that's far. It was like an hour and a half walk where I just watched the whole digital service on my phone in the rainy weather. Before I even had the chance to process it, I hopped in the car, did my driving lesson. I was off, my head was gone. I came back out and when I stepped out of that car, I looked ahead at my day and I was like, I've got a call to do for a side project. I've got um, like another thing lined up this afternoon and I've got a lad's dinner today. And I literally just was like, I've not even had the chance to process any emotion of the funeral. And I walked into a council estate in the rain and just started crying in the middle of a council estate on my own, people walking past, people staring. I just broke down crying. And that was when it just like everything hit me. I was like, I'm trying so hard to find meaning in my life because without a day-to-day, -day, without a job, without anything that gives me purpose, I feel I need to be busy, otherwise I'm worthless. And it hit me when I was stood crying in that car park that like maybe my purpose for this year isn't to be busy isn't to show people what i'm able of achieving isn't to challenge myself to superficial um projects that i just have something to show maybe my purpose for this year is just really taking time to understand me and just sit with 
some of the realities and some of the understandings and some of the hard truths and some of the uncomforts of the past year and just start to work from there. And again, this comes back into my mantra, slow down, commit more. So yeah, that's that's furlough for me. And I think that a lot of people who are either redundant or on furlough might be able to relate in terms of those struggles and the uncomfort. Um, I think that if I were to give one personal tip, sorry, I've been speaking for absolute ages, but if I were to give one personal tip, it would be to stop scrolling, cut back on digital consumption because in everything that I was doing during furlough, you best believe everyone saw all of it on IG, you know? Um, it was hugely visible. Um, I felt like every time someone would respond to a story, I was getting gratification of the fact that I had something to do that day, you know? Something that you would get when you're working by your manager just being like, oh yeah, cheers for doing that for me. You know what I'm saying? So stop scrolling. Stop comparing yourself to other people. If you find yourself with a lot of time right now, just like slow down and stop looking at what other people are doing. It makes you just feel more anxious. Um, I took a break from socials in October. I know you did the same as well. And it was genuinely one of the most healthy things that I did, just being off IG, off Facebook, off TikTok, off everything for a whole month. I did so much reading. <laughs> I did like so much reading. And I, I was going through a really difficult time at, at, at that moment as well. And I just like slowed down and I didn't feel anxious at all. And I think that in that time, that's why I picked up practicing gratitude because it's a great way to motivate yourself through furlough or redundancy. Um, like the more you pursue feeling better all the time, the less satisfied you become as pursuing something only reinforces the fact that you feel you lacked something in the first place. So when you sit down and practice gratitude, you're like, shit, you know what? I got good friends. I got great family. I've got a roof over my head. I'm able to go running. I'm all of these things, you know? And yeah. Those are my two real tips for anyone who might be struggling with something similar that I struggled in terms of just feeling at a loss of personal um, purpose, really, in either furlough or redundancy. I love that, man. I really appreciate you sharing that as well. And it reminded me of something that a wise man once said to me. I say a wise man, actually, it, it, was, a it was a therapist, actually. Um, when I first started trying to, when I knew something wasn't right, but I wasn't ready to really commit to like, properly abstaining from drugs and alcohol or more than that like really looking at myself I went and saw a therapist for a few weeks and he said to me what's the problem and I said oh I've got really low self-esteem I had worked out that's part of the problem and he said well have you tried doing some esteemable things <laughs> I thought shit that's a oh, really what? good point and that that sticks, that sticks to me till today like when I'm feeling shit about myself it's like well, why don't you just go and do some stuff that's going to make you feel better about yourself Go and help yeah. someone, call a friend, like, yeah. or even on a more basic level, you know, we, we will talk about it more at another day, I'm sure, like, go exercise, do something esteemable if you feel like you've got low self-esteem. And, like, sometimes it really is as simple as that. I guess the very last thing I wanted to touch on, I think we should both speak on it because I'm interested to get your thoughts on it as well. You know, we touched on this word purpose, right? Mm -hmm. And... I think that it's so difficult, as we've repeatedly said on this, to separate the idea of purpose and work, right? But how have like you personally 
managed to like weigh up that balance of like doing jobs that maybe don't feel so aligned to your purpose and like maybe I think everyone has this to some extent maybe like thinking I wish my job was more in line with my purpose I wish my job was my purpose I wish my purpose was my job like from the jobs you've done and like where you're at now like what do you kind of think about that yeah it's um it's a really good question for me personally as I said I balance sort of three jobs my main work my side job which is working for POC which is a creative network for people of color and then my side hustle which is property management but um finding purpose across all three to be honest I almost split out the the, the various different elements of myself that I know I'm good at and that I can bring to all of them. Obviously, I bring my full self to every single one, but naturally some jobs don't necessarily require you to think a certain way or to work in a certain way. And if I can find the time in me, then I'll find the time to balance that across those three different jobs that I do. And that's just speaking on a from a career perspective, but I think there's a lot more to to purpose than just career and I actually listened to the Stephen Bartlett pod that you sent me while I was out running earlier and I hope I'm not going to steal a quote that you might mention Um, it's not the one that you sent me but one of the things he said which is just so good is purpose is not seeking to impress it's seeking to express and for me when you put that into context of what I said about furlough feeling like it's impressive if I'm running marathons, it's impressive if I'm volunteering over Christmas, it's impressive if I'm doing whatever. That's great. But like, what is that giving me in regards to an outlet of expression via emotion, via physical health and the benefits that I get from that, or via just like feeling like I'm able to be in a place of gratitude and almost apply my services to people that might not have as much as me, you know? And I think that's really the the main understanding that I'm trying to carry on purpose now is just purpose is not seeking to impress. It's about seeking to express. I love that, man. And I love that because for me and my experience, like it really rings true. Like I worked in recruitment when I first left uni because I didn't think I was good enough for anything else. Like these, like the people around me were going and doing like culturally interesting and rewarding things, or at least it seemed that way to me. Um, and I thought, yeah, yeah, it's cool that you can do that. Um, but that's not really for me. And I, I don't know where that doubt came from, but it's like something I had from like quite a young age. Like we talked about school in the last episode. I think that for me, being around people that were like ambitious and high achieving had a weird effect on me because I didn't feel like I was that way. Then I moved from recruitment to The Guardian I was like, oh shit, okay, maybe I can do this sort of thing. And my confidence was built a little bit. And then I did another job. And then one of most, in a way, destructive, but enlightening experiences for me was that from the job I was doing after The Guardian, I went and got this job at Boiler Room, right? And if you know me and have been friends with me since I was like a late teenager, you'll know that like I fetishize and obsess or used to about that brand. Like, to like a That was the dream job for you. Yeah, to a pretty extreme level. And it was a really bizarre experience getting that job and having an absurd, for me, a number of people coming to me and being like, 
I can't believe you got this job. This is the job of your dreams. Like, well fucking done. You are the guy. Blah, 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 blah. Right? As a result, and not because of that, because of my own thinking, that job became every facet of my personality was somehow linked to that job. And the reality, you know, talk about seeking to express, I wasn't expressing myself in that job. I was like a low level brand partnerships person, kind of winged the getting the job based on my passion to work for Boiler Room. I wasn't experienced enough for the job I was doing. I was kind of like just trying to copy and learn of the people that were a little bit more experienced. And I did one really cool thing at Boiler Room where I did get to express myself there. I was like, Nov, on what we did together. But beyond that, in reality, there was no expression whatsoever. It was just a job. In my head, it was, you know, huge levels of expression. It was just completely false. Lo and behold, I get made redundant from that job. And I feel like my world has completely collapsed in on itself. Mm. Like to put it, to put it in perspective, I've been completely clean and sober from the moment I left rehab all the way through to getting made redundant from that job. And I picked up drugs and alcohol for the first time in over a year. In reality, on the back of that news, like that's how much it hit me. Mm. The amazing thing about that experience is that that job and no job can define me. Like, yes, externally, it might look fucking cool to some people. Like, it's completely meaningless. The job I have now, I literally express myself. A, I'm heard every day in meetings we have. And B, like, I actually contribute to stuff we put out, be that podcast, writing. Completely different kettle of fish. But for me, the really important thing is, like, versus touch woods, it doesn't, could fail. If it does, I will be okay. (laughs) <laughs> like I will be okay. I won't be picking up drugs and alcohol on the back of getting made redundant from this job or losing my job or going and starting another job for whatever reason. That was such an important lesson for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how relatable that is for people, but for me, like I built up that job to be so much more than it was. Um, and really like, I think something big was at play in me losing that job because I needed that. I don't know where my head would be now if I was still working there. I would be lost. Bro, as always, the words you say are just absolutely little nuggets of gold. That was hugely, hugely insightful. And I think that hopefully that will help anybody who's maybe struggling with redundancy at the moment because it's very difficult to try and rush yourself back into work because you just feel like you need a job. And ultimately, the advice that I've been given to any of my friends who are in that position or who are massively upset with the work that they're doing now because their role may have changed due to COVID um, and don't necessarily like where their careers turned, but are then struggling with the fact that at least they have a job when other people don't. It's that expression. You're in a place where you're in a job that allows you to express across the various different strengths that you have, across the passions that you have and those personal interests. And from your story, I think, and everything that we've been saying about slowing down, practicing gratitudes, maybe just sort of thinking a little bit about who you really are, where you want to go. That's the main thing for 2021 is to just not be afraid to maybe spend a little time, a little bit of time in uncomfort, because at the end of the day, you always got people that will have your back. 
if worst case scenario you need to move out of London, I've got so many people that have moved out of London and gone back with their parents. It's not a backward step. It's not necessarily like you having to admit defeat that COVID finally got to you. It's you making a smart move to take some time and to then realize where's that next step for you and what's it going to do in terms of allowing you to express yourself. Couldn't have said it any better myself. Perfect. This has been so good. I feel a lot better about the start of the year. As always, thank you for sharing, Johnny, because... Yeah, you just speak absolute wisdom. And so do you, everybody. man. <laughs> so do you. I, like, honestly, I got so much out of everything you said today. Like, on a real, I really, really did. Like, I just love having these conversations. Bro, the highlight of my week is the highlight of my week. Um, of your bye week, anyway. Bye week? Oh, yeah, bye week. Sorry. But yeah, and thank you to everybody who's still listening, tuning in for episode two. Um, we've said it before and we'll say it again we're hugely hugely grateful that people are listening and sharing and giving feedback and bringing topics for us to talk about again because there's a lot that we can learn um, from each other and from other people like like yourselves there is and I'm just going to do a little test if anyone is still listening this far in if you send me an Instagram message saying I love fish I will send you 10 pounds bro you're going to be broke (laughs) I bet not a one person sends me the message. Oi, watch me collect the commission off this. I'm just going to start WhatsApp broadcasting <laughs> people. <laughs> it's only the first person to message me as well, by the way. That's the there we go. Rich, I did that hella quick. All right. <laughs> well, let's see who that is. Um, as always, peace out, everyone. And hopefully see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Say Less podcast. We are not experts, so please help us with feedback if there's anything we've got wrong or anything you disagree with. We can be found at sayless.pod on the gram. Till next time.